0: My name is Mike Starr of Blazing Star Barbecue, and you are listening to the Leonard
1: and Jeff on the Baseball Barbecue Podcast. Please tune in for all their great topics. promise you, you won't regret it. Oh, yeah.
0: of baseball and bbq on Long Island New York this is episode number 214. I'm Jeff theoku Cohen and that's Leonard hollywood aberman will you welcome you back to our show Leonard hello
2: Jeff it's an exciting this is an exciting episode as as they all are um we've got a New York State Baseball Hall of Famer in Rick Sarone not the Rick Cerrone you might be thinking of, but maybe some people would say, yeah, the PR guy for the Yankees, of course, right? That's that's the guy. That's the first one I think of. And, And it is time for our annual holiday gift guide, which this year for the first time is going to be given to us by none other than Ray Sheehan, or as people may know him, Chef Ray. So we've got that. You've got two cents to give. I do. And yes. we're going to get to all of that. Plus something that chat GBT said that's uh, artificial intelligence, but all that after this, the holiday season is off and rolling with the NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL hitting mid season form. Bet online is your number one destination. For all your sports wagering information, with up-to-the-minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, BetOnline is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And not just the big four. BetOnline has information available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that's played, from MMA to international soccer. Head to Bet Online today, and remember to use our promo code Believe. That's B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, it is where the game starts. And how are we starting, Leonard? I want to just read you something. Let Let's start oh, with okay. that. Okay. Sure. We want to thank a friend of the show and. One of the uh, wonderful guests, uh, guests, co-hosts of the Baseball PhD podcast, and that is Farley Dillinger. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how these things work. But he was messing around with chat GBT, and this is what it spit out about the Baseball and Barbecue podcast. So let's read that. It's the Baseball and Barbecue podcast is a show that combines two beloved American pastimes baseball, and barbecue. Hosted by Len and Jeff, the podcast features discussions about baseball, often focusing on the New York Mets, and also delves into the world of barbecue with interviews, recipes, and discussions about grilling techniques. It's a unique blend of sports and culinary content, catering to fans who enjoy both the excitement of baseball and the savory flavors of barbecue. As with any podcast, details might have changed since my last update in January 2022. What do you think about that, Jeff?
0: Uh, it looked pretty good, although I kind of disagree with the focusing on the New York Mets. I think we focus on a lot of teams. I mean, we haven't focused on all of them, but I know we've talked a lot about the Dodgers and the Yankees. Of course. And other, other teams. We had players from different teams and, and, and whatnot, but Yeah. Okay, I mean it's artificial intelligence. I mean I'm still working on my nat- natural stupidity. <laughs> so it
2: doesn't mention that we often have authors on. That's right, right. So it doesn't mention that. I have no idea how it works. I don't know who. I mean, how it would do that. I, I guess that's why it's the intelligence. But uh, anyway,
0: thank well, you for, well, yeah, for providing. Well, that. Thank you, Farley. Yes. We're not going to be focusing on the Mets today. We have a former PR director of the Yankees. Actually, I think it might be the longest running PR director for for the Yankees. And he's been there with the, the championship years. It's Rick Cerrone, who was, as you said, recently inducted into the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame. And it is a terrific conversation. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Rick Cerrone. In the sports and media industries, he has done it all. For 11 seasons, he was the senior director of media relations for the New York Yankees, which included their four World Series wins in five years. He worked for the most powerful and controversial owner in the history of professional sports, George M. Steinbrenner. Prior to the Yankees, he worked for the Pittsburgh Pirates as vice president of public relations. And before the Pirates, he worked in the office of the commissioner, where he once interviewed Yurt Truly, who was looking for an internship. A graduate Northern Illinois University, he was the editor pub and publisher and founder of the nationally distributed publication Baseball Magazine at 23 years old in 1977. A technical advisor on the movies The Natural and 61. Today, he is the fourth editor-in-chief of Baseball Digest, which is in its ninth decade of publication. He is none other than Rick Cerrone. Welcome, Rick.
3: Well, thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Leonard. It's really wonderful to be with you, boy. When I hear all those things you just said, I'm feeling very old.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well... There's a podcast that we listen to uh, uh, Gilbert Gottfried's uh, Colossal podcast. It's kind of an ode to his podcast. He right. they give a very long list of items. And then at the end, they say it can also double as an obituary. But uh...
3: yeah, well, that's, <laughs> you just I think you just read my obituary. So, oh, no, well, no, no, no. No, I think you're
2: going to add a lot to it. Well, I, yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: You know, I, I picked up this, this month's issue of Baseball Digest, and the first article I see is by, written by you. It's called first, first Pitch, Securing a Seat from the House that Ruth Built, Priceless. And I love this. I love the article you wrote, and if you want to give us a little synopsis for the people who didn't buy the magazine, which they should, this article is worth it.
3: Well, it's still on sale through the end of the month. It's the tribute to Miguel Cabrera uh, commemorative issue, and uh, mm-hmm. that's one of my most favorite memories and you know kind of as part of the journey I was uh going to be a freshman or a sophomore I believe at at NIU and for some reason I got a a ticket brochure in the mail from the Yankees I guess I bought a couple tickets through the mail I got on their list and now they're trying to pitch season ticket holders so Uh, Now, I was not in a position to buy season tickets, even if I was going to be here all year. I mean, I couldn't afford the $320 for the entire Mm. season for a seat, if you can believe Mm. that. Yeah. Um, But I noticed that because it was the 50th anniversary and the final season of Yankee Stadium, they were offering to season ticket holders that you you would be presented with your actual seat. You would take your seat home. And I had to have one you know, I was going to figure out how to have one. Now, if it was going to season ticket holders, well, that's three or 4,000 seats out of 50,000 or so chair back seats. I didn't count the bleachers. So I wrote a letter to Bob Fischl, who was the head of public relations for the Yankees. And I asked him for a seat. I said, oh, yeah, I'd like to, I'm a big fan. I'd like to get a seat. And then at the end, I put, by the way, or PS, if it's possible, I'd like to get seat number seven. Now, Imagine that. I'm 18 years old and I'm asking Bob's, you know, not only do I want a seat, but I'd really like to get number seven. So he sent a letter back and the letter read something to the effect of, you know, we haven't decided what we're going to do with the remaining seats after the season ticket distribution. So I'll keep your letter on file and we'll get back to you. So I I really didn't give it any more thought. I went off to school. In early September of 1973, and didn't give it another thought, hadn't heard anything, thinking that I would be the one <clears throat> to hear from him. And then when I got home for Thanksgiving, I walked into my bedroom, and there was the seat. My father had put it on two slats underneath it. It had a plaque on it, you know, golden anniversary of Yankee Stadium. And it was a wonderful surprise. You know, Bob Fischel, at some point between my leaving and my return in November, had called my house and talked to my dad and said, hey, we, your son requested a seat. You can come and pick it up at this place, at this time, whatever, which he did. So the reason I, I wrote the, the the my column on this was not so much to tell this story, but to kind of show how the game has changed in the 50 years since I was able to write to the PR director and get a seat. The, the the fascinating thing that I later learned I wrote a story on the 40th anniversary of of that last season and the closing of the original Yankee Stadium in in 2000 and I guess 13 for Yankees magazine and I interviewed various people and I, I I interviewed a gentleman by the name of schwall who was the head of the the wreck Inverness wrecking company that was given the you know, the, the big had the winning bid to do the demolition, you know, the partial demolition of Yankee Stadium. And the fascinating thing about it was in the contract was that outside of a two week window that the Yankees would have to sell memorabilia, everything in the stadium was your responsibility. Like you needed to get rid of the seats. You need to get rid of the signs, You need to get rid of all the stuff that ended up because they looked at it as junk we got to get this stuff out of here. You know, as, as Brandon Steiner said right. in this interview, you know, of Steiner sports back then it was out with the old and in with the new, well, you jump ahead to when they really tore down and demolished Yankee stadium in 2008. I mean, Brandon Steiner and Steiner sports had the winning bid. I don't know how many bids there were, but they paid, I believe over $10 million for the rights to everything in the stadium. So, In in 1973, they basically paid the wrecking company to get rid of everything. And in 2008, they picked up $10 million. That's how the game has changed. I mean, someone's not writing to the Yankees in 2008, even if I was the the Bob Fischel of that time and walking away with seat number seven, so to speak. Yeah, Right. Amazing.
2: (laughs) Jeff, Jeff, in his uh, introduction, said something that I, I don't think I was aware of. Jeff, did you say that you interviewed for an internship with Rick?
0: I was looking for an internship. Right. And uh, I was, uh, you know, I went, had an interview with, with Rick Cerrone 40 years ago, and I ent- eventually got an uh, internship with the Mets. But oh. I was referred to Rick Cerrone from, uh, I guess, someone from my school, from St. John's University.
3: Oh. Right. Then- you know, I think we did have an internship program with St. John's at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember a number of interns that we got. So if if you didn't get the internship, obviously we didn't need one or we had one or you just were a really bad interview. Right? <laughs> you weren't wearing a baseball cap, were you?
0: <laughs> I did end up
3: working for Jay Harwood for, right. for a year. Well, so listen, you know, <laughs> trust me, you had a much more fascinating ride there with Jay than you probably would have with me back in, at Major League Baseball.
2: <laughs> but now, Rick, your story is interesting because you actually knew from a very young age what you wanted to do with your life and, and that you wanted to be the PR director for the Yankees. And you had some things happen to you that kind of put you on that path. You could-
3: well, you know, my, my path to the career that I had. You know, perhaps it was happenstance or perhaps somebody was looking down. Perhaps, you know, it was meant to be. But I wanted to be the PR director of the New York Yankees, probably since I was 10 or 11 years old. Now, I had a conversation with my friend Marty Appel, who was my one of my many predecessors. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, he was Bob Fishel's assistant back when I requested that seat. And um, I asked Marty, could you go back in your collection of Yankee yearbooks and find out if I'm correct that I believe I, I, the first year that I really started going to games or that I can remember, although there was one or two before that, probably in 1963, but I remember going in 1964 because I bought the Yankee yearbook, which was the publication that they sold with all the sketches of the players and pictures And that was the first Yankee yearbook I bought, 50 cents, by the way. And I bought it in 65, 66, 67. Every year I went to a game, the first thing I did was buy a yearbook. I don't know if it was the first year that I was there, but Marty pointed out to me today in his research that it couldn't have been because they used to have a picture in the back of the book of the front office staff, which was extremely small. When Marty sent me a picture of the first one, which was 1965, I was actually surprised there were so many people in the in the picture. There probably was like 30 to 40 people. I remember the picture being much smaller. But anyway, I noticed a man in the picture named Bob Fischel, Robert O. Fischel, and he was the director of public relations. And in listening to the games as I did religiously or watching on TV, I would often hear his name. You know, Phil Rizzuto would say, oh, Bob Fischel just came into the booth to tell us that that home run by Joe Peppertone put him on 11th place on the all-time Yankee list. Thanks, Bob. I'm like, now, I knew I couldn't grow up to be Mickey Mantle. That was sure. Or even Mickey Klutz. But I knew there's no reason I can't be, if I put my mind to it, I can't be Bob Fischl. We jump ahead to when I was 14 years old. Again, this is happenstance. I... Got the local paper, and I was reading it, and I front page was that Richard Swales named principal of Yorktown High School, where I was between my freshman and sophomore year and taking two courses at nearby Lakeland High School just to become a sophomore, because I had flunked two courses my freshman year of high school. It struck me because Richard Swales was my guidance counselor but he would no longer be because he's now going to be the principal. Now what I remember is it it really meant nothing to me. I it was the single it was the first moment that was going to alter the course of my life. It was a life-changing event that I I didn't see, I didn't get. I would have no way of knowing I'm 14 years old. What, what do I know? But all of Mr. Swell's students were assigned to other guidance counselors or maybe a new guidance counselor that was going to replace him. I don't remember. But somehow I was given to a man named Forrest Buddy Dowds. Now, I knew of Buddy Dowds because he was also the football coach. In fact, Buddy Dowds' father was the very first head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1933, I want to say. So... The name Buddy Dowds. So I knew Mr. Dowds and I was thrilled to be. So the first or second week of school, I was had a meeting with my guidance counselor. I don't remember the reason for the meeting, just introductory meeting with problem students, of which I was certainly one. And gentlemen, I can still picture that moment sitting on the side of his gray metal desk. He's sitting there in his white shirt, collar undone with a black tie. And he's looking at with this troubled look on his face at my grade po- at my gr- grades. I called it my rap sheet. And <laughs> finally, he looks up at me and he says, let me ask you a question. What do you see yourself doing? If you could do anything you wanted to do, what do you see yourself doing as an adult? Now, I'm thinking that whatever I say, this is what I'm thinking at that moment when I hear the question. Whatever answer I give him, I want to be a firefighter like my father, I want to be a police officer, I want to be an accountant, I want to be an astronaut. Whatever I answer, he's going to say, well, you're probably going to need a high school diploma for that, and we're not off to a very good start. But my answer absolutely floored him. He will tell you he's 91, sharp as a tack. He will tell you that to this day. What do you see yourself doing if you could do anything you want? I said, that's easy, coach. I'm the public relations director of the New York Yankees. And he was a bit taken aback and said, that's very specific. And I went on to tell him who who the PR director was, what he did. And I remember saying, I I might not have said, I can't grow up to be Mickey Mantle, but there's no reason I can't be Bob Fischel. But I did say, I'm not big enough to play football but there's no reason I can't do this. And he thought about that for a second and he said to me, I'll make you a deal. If you can get your grades up and you can keep them up, do you think you could do for my football team what this guy Bob Fischl does for the Yankees? So I walked in that office as a struggling, disengaged, underachieving 14 year old student. And I walked out of that office with a job. I was the public relations director of the Yorktown high school football team. And I took it very seriously. We had game notes. We had a media guide. No high school football. As Mr. Dowds would tell you, we didn't have a media guide before you, and we never had one after you, which I would say, why didn't you have someone do a media guide for you? And the reason we did a media guide was I felt so bad, like my freshman year, maybe we were on the... WFAS Radio Game of the Week twice out of eight games. And this guy would come in. His name was Jerry Desmond. He did all the high school football games. And I always wondered, how does he know how to pronounce the names? How does he know that our our quarterback, Tim Klemchuk, you know, what are you going to say about him? Where where, where was he born? What do his parents do? What's his goal? So I gave a sketch to every player on the team, and a little quote from from Coach Dowd's. Doing that basically launched the rest of my career. It, it got me into college. It got me into a very specific college, Northern Illinois University, probably the only one I could have gotten into, and there's a reason for that. But that happened because one of the writers for a local paper, a gentleman named Stanley Shallot, took a liking to me. And I was around him for like two or three years. Football, then I did basketball, then I did baseball. And my senior year, Stanley Shallot tells me, I'm leaving. I've accepted a job in Illinois at the DeKalb, Illinois Daily Chronicle. All right. He's gone. That's it. Thank you. Nice to know you. Whatever. Keep in touch, you know. So one day, my senior year in college, in high school, he calls me and he asks, Are you still looking at colleges? I said, yeah, but unfortunately, they're not really looking at me because my grades were still subpar. Uh, You know, they weren't. I I really couldn't overcome my freshman year grades. But he said, well, I want you to come out here and look at this university that's here in DeKalb, Northern Illinois University. Major college, 21,000 students. division. It just became a Division I sports program. The basketball team that week had beaten number five ranked Indiana. By 19 points at home, Bobby Knight's first year. So I went out and visited it, and of course I'm I'm at my visit. I'm with Stan Shalit, so we're I'm not walking into the basketball office or the football office without Stan. Mm-hmm. But I'm walking in, and here's the players, and you know, this Nad, you're going to come here, blah blah blah. Great school. So I said, this this is for me. So that September, I, I got in through a minority. It was called the Chance Program. I got in because of my out of classroom activities and accomplishments. And that September, I took one suitcase. Everything else was shipped, whatever, whatever else they would ship me, blankets, whatever. And I ended up at Northern Illinois University and it was my Disneyland. It was my Disneyland. I mean, I was the sports editor of the student newspaper in the summer. Cause I came up with this plan, the Saron plan, where you're only going to take 12 credits a semester and then take six in the summer. Because I could work at the star. They publish three times a week and you had to really be creative because there's nothing to cover. So, um, and then senior year, I became, uh, I became, uh, the sports director of the radio station. I did football and basketball on the, uh, on the radio. And that year, not only did I do them on the small college station, WKDI, but they also broadcast the games on the 50,000-watt FM station. But the funny thing is, a man named Bill Baker, who's been the legendary voice of the NIU Huskies since 1980, announced his retirement at the end of this season, 44 years, 514 games to date. He missed one game because he opted to do the basketball game that was conflicting because it was in Miami, Florida, back in 1992. But I went up to visit. I went to homecoming this weekend. I went up to visit Bill, and I brought him a very significant retirement gift. And in visiting with Bill in the booth and his partner of 35 years, Mark Lindo, I reminded them that I did games in this booth before Bill did. (laughs) <laughs> That's how old I am. I did the games in 1975. Bill started in 1980. Northern Illinois University really is responsible, along with Buddy Dowds and Bob Fischel and George Steinbrenner, or whatever, for, for my being where I am today, wherever that may be. But the the most amazing thing that happened to me related to that is that last year, I was inducted into the NIU Athletics Hall of Fame. Now, I wouldn't have ever aspired to that because when I was there, there there was no Hall of Fame. But as I said in my induction speech, there were Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers, the football coach, the uh, head basketball coach, the athletic director, the sports information director. Uh, They all, if they, like, didn't give me the time of day, or treated me disrespectfully or, but every one of them kind of took me under their wing and all of them have been friends for life. A number of them have passed away, but I just think it's an amazing thing that my alma mater would recognize that, you know, my career was launched there.
0: Yeah. I was going to mention, you know, congratulations on being inducted to the NIU Hall of Fame. That's a, a great honor. And you have another great honor coming up in a couple of weeks being inducted into the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame. and I'll be on November uh, November eleventh. And congratulations on that.
3: yeah, that that's really, I mean, for me, the ultimate honor to take your state and anybody that was born in this state or played for one of the teams in New York for a period of time to include me. I, I really don't know what to say. I mean, it, it came as a big surprise. It's an incredible honor. Uh, I'll be going in along with uh, you know Roger Maris, Elston Howard, Daryl Strawberry, Chris Chambliss, Oh yeah, Todd Zeal, friend, all friends of mine. And one of the great things that I that I think about is that I knew Roger Maris. I had conversations with Roger Maris. I had conversations with Elston Howard. They knew my name. You know, Joe DiMaggio knew me and would always be you know. Take a moment for me. Mickey Mantle. I mean, my goodness gracious, never got a picture with any of them. Never thought of it. Never even crossed my mind. Hey, let's get a picture. Of course, in those days, you had to find somebody with a camera. Right. (laughs) But um, I I just think that I've really just been so blessed that, you know, you mentioned before being the consultant the technical, but one of two technical advisors on the movie, The Natural. I mean, my name, my name is in those credits, except when you watch it on TV and they race them by. That's right. <laughs> um, but my name, my name is in those credits for, uh, you know, forever. And it's funny. There was another, a second technical advisor. All of my work on The Natural was pre-production. I'm in, I'm in Major League Baseball. I'm, at this point, I'm the low man on the totem pole. It was really the first year I was there, and my the secretary says, there's a guy on the phone, and he wants to talk to you about a movie he's making. He's making a So I got on the phone. The gentleman says to me, uh, I'm the producer of a movie with Robert Redford. Uh, okay, now you got my attention, called The Natural. Are you familiar with the Bernard Malamud book, The Natural? And I'm like, of course I am. I had heard of it. I never know. Well, we're making the movie and it takes place in 1939 and it's a fictitious team but in the real National League. We need to know what uniforms looked like in 1939, what the vendors wore, what the, And I said to him, and we're looking for an advisor, you know, someone that could help us with this. And I said, "Well, if if this movie takes place in 1939, the uniforms will all have to have the centennial patch." What are you talking about? the gentleman's name was mark johnson and he produced a number of academy award-winning movies afterwards i said well in 1939 it was recognized as you know baseball was founded in 1839 so they said and they all had a red white and blue patch and he goes i think you're our guy can you do this and i went to my boss and i told him he goes well yeah you can do it but you can't accept any money i said i never wasn't even thinking of money so first thing they did was we went on this quest to find a ballpark that could ride, look like a major league field. And they didn't want to use Wrigley field or they didn't want to, you know, other teams playing, or, but I don't want someone, somebody can't look at this and say, that's Wrigley field or that you know, like Wrigley field doubled for Yankee stadium in that awful movie, the babe, uh, right. you know <laughs> tiger stadium. And Billy did a wonderful job on this doubled as Yankee stadium. I don't think people say, Oh, that's tiger stadium. But, he was very clear that it's got to be unique. So they were looking at ballparks in Mexico and in Indianapolis and whatever. And I remember saying to him in the conversation, because I had published a photo of this ballpark in baseball magazine just a few years before I had found this photo of a jam packed war memorial stadium in Buffalo with the lights. And I said, what about war Memorial?" And Mark thought it would they, he was told that it had been torn down. So that kind of delayed the you know the the securing the ballpark but they found out it wasn't and it turned out to be the best possible situation because right next to the ballpark was an armory which is basically a giant open space indoors and that's where they built all the interior sets so the judges office the locker room Iris's apartment, all this was all in this. And so they did everything in Buffalo, everything. They had the candy store. It was in Buffalo. All this was Buffalo. So the second thing I had to do was, can you find a picture from like the 1930s or forties? And I said, well, the thirties might be a little tough, but that can show Robert Redford training with the old windup, you know, like, so Redford lived in Connecticut, and I knew a former Yankee named Speck Shea. Frank Speck Shea won 20 games in the 40s. And I called and I became friendly with him and had his phone number. And I called Speck and I said, hey, would you want to, which they did. They went to a park and they did that. Then we sent them to wherever for uniforms and vendors and the scorecard and this and that. And that was my work. But there was another gentleman who was on set. His name was Gene Kirby. And Gene Kirby was a very big name in broadcasting in the 40s, 50s, 60s. And so he was retired and he did all the on, you know, take the, you know, take the watch off or, you know, they, they wouldn't have won those sunglasses or whatever. And the sad thing is when I saw the movie and the credits roll, it said baseball consultant Richard Cerrone. I'm like, where's Gene? And I even told him, I said, you know, what happened to Gene Kirby? So they, for distribution on tv and whatever they recut the credits to add gene Gene kirby thank god but that was just I, i spent a weekend up there and i remember going over to mark the producer and saying you know, mark you asked me to be very specific about the look whatever i said those two guys over there the manager and the coach they have mustaches and i said you know they would not have worn mustaches in 1939 and Mark like nods his head and he says, you know, you're right. He puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes, you go tell him. <laughs> so I said, all right, I, I got it. I got you. So Wilfred Brimley who treated us yeah. great, Richard Farnsworth, uh-huh. we, we when we went over to the set, we left the hotel and we got in a van. There's a van that goes back and forth to the, to the hotel. And, uh, we we get in we get in the uh the van and Wilford Brimley said, Would you two nice people mind if we made a quick stop so I could pick up my dry cleaning? And I'm like, Of course. What we, we can go to midtown Manhattan for all week? You know, so but that was great. I was I saw a number of scenes that were not filmed chronologically, but I can see the scenes and know where I was standing. When 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 Roy Hobbs broke his bat, that scene, I was behind on plate. Standing with my, my girlfriend, fiance at the time and Glenn Close, who had a New York Knights jacket on because it was cold that night. And we were watching from behind the camera. And I'll tell you a little secret. If you got time, I'll tell you two quick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. we have all night <laughs> that I had nothing to do <laughs> with. I learned years, years later in watching the movie and whatever. If you watch the movie, when he hits that ball and splits the bat. The bat doesn't break. It clearly does not break. It doesn't split, whatever. But the one thing that I noticed in watching the movie, probably the very first time, because it wasn't too long after, I probably saw the movie three times the first year, because I saw a screening, then I went to a theater to watch it. I don't think the screening had the musical score in it yet, which was a big part of the movie. So the next year, Mark Johnson calls me again. He says, I need your help on another movie I'm doing called Tin Men with Richard Dreyfuss and Danny DeVito. Very underrated, terrific movie. They wanted, it took place in Baltimore, and they wanted to have a TV in a diner or a bar having a Yankees-Orioles game. So he was looking for TV footage from, and I don't remember where that went. But in the conversation, I said, hey, Mark, let me ask you a question. I said, when you, in the scene where Roy Hobbs comes up, for the first time and knocks the cover off the ball did you for some specific reason use two different actors as the home plate umpire in that one scene he's what are you talking about I said well the home plate umpire that walks over to the dugout and says get a hitter up here who's clearly the home plate umpire because he's got the chest protector and the mask is not the umpire that calls strike one it's a complete it's the guy from the the last game in the movie and then when he goes out and says give me the ball it's the it's the other guy again and mark johnson says are you smoking crack <laughs> and now i'm starting to think I was wrong the next day he calls me and he says oh my god how did we miss that I must have seen that scene a hundred times in pre, you know, and we just missed it. We screwed it up. But mm. so when you watch the natural, there's wow. two bad umpiring home plate at the same, in the same at bat. Doesn't happen. Oh, no, I got to go back and watch that now. Pay closer attention. <laughs> it's a great story.
0: Great story.
2: Rick, we actually interviewed, um, Jeff, you got to help me with this.
0: It was Ed Cranpool.
2: Yeah. He, he had the opportunity to go to Buffalo, I guess, to help with this movie, to be a consultant or whatever. Right. But he did not like his time in Buffalo. And so he turned it down.
3: Right. Well, you know what? That is an iconic film. Yeah. Um, I think I made a contribution to it. And it's just a, a, a source of great pride. And what I yeah. got from my work on The Natural... I got a beautiful New York Knights jacket. Ah, that was beautiful nice. and I just yeah. had it dry cleaning. It cost me $45, but I wanted to preserve it. Robert Redford sent me a really nice note, letter, thanks for all your work. I really think we got something here and he sent me a beautiful signed photo of him on deck as as Roy Hobbs. Huh. So ah, th- that very nice. uh, that was uh, you know, that was and I got the hobnob with Glenn Close and Richard Farnsworth and Wilford Brimley and it, the amazing thing about that movie because it was it was on a very small budget it was not a big budget movie but to get Robert Duvall and Glenn Close and Robert Prosky and every single every single role in that movie was perfectly cast and they were Mark Johnson said I I have no idea how we pull that off but.
2: Well, if Robert Redford had been a really good actor, when he hit the ball, he would have been able to have that bad crack. So obviously, he's not the
3: celebrity, yeah. the great actor. we Yeah, <laughs> but I forgot that when he hit the ball, you know, he does it. it this is the funniest thing that the night I was there and it, they were scenes for the final game in the in the afternoon. They were shooting the scene with the national anthem scene where they panned the uh, the team during the national anthem. So there were scenes, but that night at night, and they had to get permission. Uh, they told people you could leave if you want, but we're going to go another hour. And pee everybody, there was only about two to three thousand people in the ballpark. That so they moved them around. They would mm-hmm. stop filming and they would move them from behind the first base dugout out to left field, or in the case of the broken bat, they were all in right field. And you know he hit the he did it a couple times till he hit one that would look like it was going to go foul and everything. But the funniest thing I remember was there's a scene where you think the guy's going to hit a home run in that game and the guy catches it short of the wall. And they kept practicing this with this gun. They had a gun that shot the ball and they got the right distance so the director's on the megaphone to the crowd that's all 2,000 of them are in left field. Now, this is what's going to happen. He's going to hit the ball, and you're all going to cheer. Everybody cheer. And they all cheer. And he goes, and then you're gonna, it's getting closer. It's going to be a home run, and you're cheering, you're cheering. And then it falls just short, and you go, ah, let's hear you say it. And they, ah, okay. So they go to do it, and on cue, they shoot the gun, and everybody's cheering. And the ball lands like 15 rows deep in the stands. And they all go. (laughs) The fans got it right, and they had to reshoot it. But that was pretty. That's that's movie making.
0: That's pretty. That's pretty funny.
3: Wasn't Darren McGavin in that that movie? Yes, Darren McGavin, who took who 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 did not like. I was told, you know, where his name was going to be placed in the credits, and he says, "Don't even put me in the credits." So, he is not credited in the movie.
0: Really? He had pretty yeah. big
3: parts. You know, when you, know. you look at the credits rolling and Robert Redford, Robert, he's not in there. And he got more notoriety for not being in it than he would have wow. been in it. But. Wow.
0: You know, uh, I want to ask you about your time with the Yankees. Uh, you were there yeah. for the four, four championships. Obviously, uh, with the uh, 2000 World Series, there was a controversy with, with Mr. Clemens and Mr. Piazza. Yeah. And uh, we had on. Talking about his book, Jeff Mangold.
3: Yeah. And I never knew but, that he's the one who ended up with that yeah. bat. Yeah, that's true. I didn't yeah. either. But I'll tell you what I ended up with before we go back to that. Game one, I guess it was game one of the 20, 2000 World Series, was our 13th consecutive win, World Series game win. And it, it was on a game winning, extra inning hit by Jose Vizcaino. And there was a play at the plate and, the, and I was in the dugout like Jeff was for the uh, um, The reason I was in the dugout was as soon as the game ends, I got to step out and get the winning players. If we win, you, you go to Fox, you go here, you go. to um, So I was kind of in the corner of the dugout and the ball rolled over and was just sitting there. So I picked up the ball and I went and the next day and gave it to uh, or two days later and gave it to Jose Vizcaino. I said, this is the because you, he says, no, you keep it. You keep it. Um, he was such a – Jose Vizcayano, you know, short-time Yankee, but what a wonderful man. So I kept the ball. I, he goes, you want me to sign it? So he signed it. But the record at that point after we won the next game was 14 straight. Mm-hmm. So that's what he signed, 14th straight win. It was
1: – uh, you know,
3: Not that I'm selling it. It's, right. It's packed now because we're moving. <laughs> but I, but I, ended up, I ended up getting that baseball. But anyway, you were talking about the, the Clemens incident.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, Jeff Mangold end up with that bat, and uh, being the PR director at the time, that must have been a crazy, crazy. Yeah, conference. it really
3: was. It really was because, look, I know what really happened. He did not throw the bat at Roger Clemens at, at Mike Piazza. you oh, he said he thought it was the ball. How stupid! When the thing was coming at him, he thought for a second it was the ball. He didn't throw it thinking it was the ball. So let's clear that up. But the other thing is, if you look at it, he's just getting, but the other thing is he was really, really over amped up. He was, you know, like so amped up that emotion took over and he flung the bat out of the way and it, you know, they intercepted, but you know, he, he felt bad and earlier that year, I guess he had yeah. hit lemons in the head and, he was practically crying after the game. So, you know, but I'll tell you something about Roger Clemens. So I'll tell you a quick story about Roger Clemens. Now, look, if you're a Yankee, Clemens is larger than life. He's one of the game's big superstars when we just up to the season before we got him. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the Roger Clemens. We know he's the enemy. So I'm told one spring training, I'm called into Joe's office and there's Brian Cashman and, we're going to get Roger Clemens and we're trading i think Homer Bush and uh David Wells, was David, David Wells, Wells and right? Ray Lloyd. And as much as challenging as David Wells was for the PR guy, <laughs> good guy but you know, kind of a challenge. I'm like, no, 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 please don't don't upset the apple cart here. Bring it in that oh, come on. This is so now we get Roger Clemens and everybody's nice on the first day. Everybody's nice at the great, you know, don't judge people by their first press conference because they're all nice. I I won't go over to Roger Clemens' locker. I just met him. He doesn't know me from Adam. I said, Roger, look, obviously, you know, we're getting inundated with requests for your time from various media outlets. I've screened them all, but I got it down to about 10 or 12 that, I'm not comfortable making a yes, no decision on because some of them you might want to use. I'll tell you what you do. Write them all down on a piece of paper. Give them to me when I leave. I'll take them home. I'll go through it. And tomorrow we'll get together and we'll we'll make a decision on what we're going to do. Can't ask for more than that. There he is getting dressed. Roger is. Thanks. Takes it, puts it in his pocket and goes home. Next morning, 730 a.m. You know, it's early. You know, we get there early. Clemens. Hey, Rick. Calls me over his locker, hands me back the paper, folded just the way I had given it to him. He said, okay, he goes, there you go. So I take the paper and I look at it. And under every one of them, it says, like the first one said, sit down interview with Bob Costas for NBC special team of the De- of the century. And under it, he wrote tomorrow or, you know, Friday, 8 a.m., Okay and he had the dates and times for everyone didn't say no to one of them he said to me if you if these are okay with you they're okay with me USA today baseball whatever their magazine was you know there was a baseball magazine every week from USA today you know photo shoot photo shoot interview radio blah 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 and he did every one of them. I will tell you that Roger Clemens was as good, as cooperative a person, as good a teammate as you could possibly have. He would literally give you the shirt off his back. So wow. what, what I used to do as he was moving up the chart on the all-time win list, I would put a picture in his locker of who was next. You know, whatever the, you know, I'd get these pictures, you know, whoever it might have been, you know. Dazzy Vance, yeah. I, I don't. But the one I remember was Lefty Grove was ahead of him, and I told him, I said, "Lefty Grove is ahead of you, but I'm not giving the photo to you to you pass him." All right. So when he passed him, I had years ago gotten an autograph photo of Lefty Grove. I gave him the autograph photo of Lefty Grove, which he appreciated. But he was he was fabulous, Roger Clemens. Yeah, wow.
0: wow. you know, you talk about g- game one and. Going into the whole baseball New York hmm. State baseball team with you is Todd Zeal, who hit that ball. And as you can see, I'm a Met fan, yeah. and I'm all I'm
3: saying is, "Run, Timo, run!" Yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's, what that's what everybody was saying. But yeah. um, you know that that's the game, and you know, perfect relay. It, that's the great thing about this game. You, you never know what's going to. I, I want to say one thing here, if I can, and I've never ever sure. I thought about this the other day. And so I'm giving it to you first. One of the things that we as fans, even when we worked there, I was the PR guy, we never think about what's going on with a player. When we put on a game and we watch them, the leadoff hitter comes up, whether whoever it might be, Francisco Lindor is up, or Pete Alonso, or or you know Aaron Judge, we we never know what's going on in their life we just expect that, like like they're a video game i had a player one time come up to me and this did not register like it was no big deal but i had a player once and i won't say yankees pirates whatever call me over his locker one day and goes hey i'm sorry i was so abrupt with you last night i'm like i don't even remember you being abrupt but he said you know before i came to the ballpark you know my wife said, "I won't be here when you get back." Now things worked out. She, you know, I'm like, "Are you okay?" Yeah, everything's fine. But you know what? 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 What about the player that finds out his daughter has got an illness, or someone in their family was in an accident? These things happen to us every day. We never consider that they're people. They have families. They have families with issues. Whether it's Health or you know school or whatever, somebody's not adapting to their new surroundings. They're, so I, I really look at it differently now, and I, I wish people would too. That you know these these are people with families, and you know they're 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 like us. They make yeah, a lot right. more money than us, and they've got a God given talent that they've honed and whatever. But you know the other thing I'll tell you about people, and you'll get a kick out of this because I watched the Mets old timers game which was uh-huh. wonderful that Jay Harwood's put on and Steve Cohen last year. And one thing I realized is that at some point God takes that gift away because when you're 50 and 60, you're just like everybody else out in the park playing <laughs> softball or whatever. I mean, man, that, you know, so except yeah. Lee Mazzilli, he's still got the gift.
2: <laughs> you know, Rick, you're so right because we, we put these we put these athletes up on a pedestal they because they have such talent and they make a lot of money, but they obviously have problems just like all of us. So uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, you know, so and so wasn't very nice. Uh, uh, they they slighted me. They didn't give me an autograph uh, or, you know, whatever. And you don't know what they're going through and you don't know how many autographs they just signed, they may right. have a cramped hand. I mean, so I I I can't I, I yeah, agree or with what's you.
3: going through their mind when you asked them for that autograph. Yeah. You know, maybe the night that the guy doesn't think his wife is going to be there when he gets back, blows right. somebody off and the person, you know, oh I met so and so and he was a real, you know, he was a real jerk. I'll tell you another another misjudgment on my part. And you know, he's become a, a dear, dear friend and I'm so honored to be being inducted into the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame with Daryl Strawberry. Now, Daryl Strawberry was on the Yankees the year before I got there in 1995, and then they didn't re-sign him. So we're we're doing well. I think we're in first place. It's whatever. And and the boss tells us that you know, I'm I'm bringing Daryl Strawberry back. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, why would you do that? Where everything's going good. Well, blah, blah, blah. You got to upset the apple cart with this, you know, circus, whatever. I got to tell you right there, you know, I, I should have walked in and said, I have no business having this job because I've misjudged this guy and what he would do for this team. You talk about a great teammate, about a great person. Uh, and then, and look, he went through some struggles with us. He had the terrible, you know, he had the cancer, mm-hmm. uh, but then he, oh, yeah. he kind of fell back on with, with, with drugs but he righted that shit, but he never, he was such, uh, he, you know, he took my son who was like five at the time under his wing. And, you know, my son adored him. Yeah. You know, so you're not always right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Now, now, Rick, uh, you know, Jeff mentioned he's a Met fan and, uh, and I'm a Met fan, but we're I'm obviously we're huge baseball fans. Oh,
3: I'm a Met fan too. Right? I mean,
2: yeah. So, but You can't argue with the history, the the incredible history of the Yankees. And you are with the Yankees during one of the most incredible periods of time in their history, winning and you're working for George Steinbrenner. And you
3: think you think the winning was a coincidence?
2: No, no, No. No. (laughs) (laughs) I think it it was all to do with you, actually. But uh, but so it, it. so the next thing that the, the obvious question is, what is it like to work for George Steinbrenner?
3: Well, you know, it's funny when I told my high school guidance counselor that I wanted to be the PR director of the Yankees, they were owned by CBS. Right. The funny thing happened that the next or well, not the next year, but my first year at NIU, I sent a letter to Bob Fischel, who had left me the seat and asked although the seat I think was after but anyway, looking for a summer job, I typed the letter out, blah, blah, blah. And I mailed it off. And I'll never forget that letter from the New York Yankees arriving at 1031, a Stevenson South at Northern Illinois university. And I went up and I read the letter and it was, you know, a, a front office is baseball front office is very small and we don't have any openings. I'll keep your letter on file, but frankly, I'm not optimistic. So, you know, But what I didn't realize till just a few years back, because I now have that letter, I had that letter framed in my office at Yankee Stadium, but I never noticed the date of that letter was like December 27th, 1972, right? And yeah, so it was before the seat. And I didn't realize till just a couple of years ago that in one week's time, after he wrote that letter, unsuspecting, unknowing, Bob Fischel's life, was going to be turned upside down because on January 3rd, 1973, the Yankees were bought from CBS by a group headed by who at the time of the letter was a relatively unknown shipbuilder from, from Cleveland, Cleveland.
2: Right. Exactly. So,
3: you know, you know, Bob Fischel was the Yankee PR director for 20 years, but he only lasted two under, under Mr. Steinbrenner. Now. So by the time I walked in that door, and got that job after working in baseball magazine and MLB and the Pittsburgh Pirates, by the time I walked into my office in January of 1996, you know, he's being parodied on a iconic TV sitcom, you know, and as George Costanza said, he fires people like it's a bodily function, mostly managers (laughs) and PR directors. (laughs) When I got there, he had already gone through a dozen. Wow before getting to me. Now, before I got there, the longest serving PR director under George Steinbrenner was a man named Harvey Green. Great PR director, was with the Dolphins for many, many years. Harvey Green was known as the Lou Gehrig of Yankee PR directors. He lasted three seasons. (laughs) So that's what I walked into. I walked into a job that Sports Illustrated would later call the hottest seat in sports which I would be a perfect example that that is very true but I'll tell you how I survived and thrived and had a partnership with Mr. Steinbrenner probably like no other PR director did when I had Baseball Magazine in 1977 I'm just I'm 23 years old 22 23 years old
2: and can i just interrupt because that isn't isn't that a magazine that you actually brought up you you took over from someone and put that together and that i mean that's an incredible story on its own
3: somebody that i had interviewed that lived in my town remember i'm the sports editor at northern illinois for the northern star in the summer i've got to find stories there's a guy that lived in my town here yorktown heights that was making baseball cards in his basement. And between then that story and my senior year, he had started a collector's magazine and it was called collector's quarterly. And his idea was that he would market the baseball cards by putting 18 cards in the centerfold of each issue. They weren't of current players at the time, but then he went on and did current players, got sued by tops, whatever. So the, the magazine didn't go quite the way he wanted it to. He had unrealistic expectations, and his editor of this collector's quarterly was go, was going off to college. His editor was a high, high school, school. senior. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that high school senior's name, by the way, was Keith Olberman. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. So Keith did a great job, and he went and he went off to Cornell, leaving Mike with one final issue to do. So he gives me all the, he calls me over to his house and he's got this big box of all these manuscripts. Remember in those days, people type their, their articles that he had pictures. He had, I need you to put together the final issue of collectors quarterly. And then I'm closing the door. I'll give you 150 bucks. Now that was like, wow, $150. So I did it. I loved it. I said, this is what this is what I want to do. I'm, I'm working part time for the local newspaper, writing stories about people's, you know, model train collections or whatever. I convinced this gentleman, genius. The man was a genius. Mike, Mike Aaronstein. I, I convinced Mike to continue the magazine, but to make it a baseball magazine. So make collectors quarterly, baseball quarterly. You can still put the baseball cards in the middle. And he agreed. And that's how baseball. Now I'm the editor. Now, we did one issue and someone said to us, this is really nice. Why isn't it on the newsstand? And the answer should have been because we have no idea how to do that. (laughs) And then Mike realized my uncle Selig worked as a magazine wholesaler in Rockland County. Let's go visit uncle Selig. And he'll, you know, so we go out there and we meet this magazine wholesaler with the apron cigars, and He looks through it. He goes, you need a national distributor. So he sets us up with, sets me up with a meeting with this national distributor. It's the first time I ever went to a business meeting in Manhattan with these two gentlemen. I still remember their names, Frank Sermonero and Neil Leventhal. And they take me to lunch at Smith and Walensky's and I'm asked to put on a jacket. They give me a waiter's jacket because I didn't have a jacket. That's how long ago it was. And that's how naive i was or green i was so they thumbed through the magazine which was all black and white and they tell you need color the cover, the cover stock is too heavy this and that? you need current players the heck nobody wants to see the 27 year old so uh give us 10,000 and uh we'll we'll test it 10,000 so i go back and i tell mike they want 10,000 to test nationally 10 you, it's costing us $1500 to print 1000 you know, because we were printing them only for subscribers. You know, will you imagine? I, I can't afford that. So he said, "Well, they gave me the name of a, they gave me the name of a printer in their building." So I'm gonna, I met with the printer and they took the specs and they got us a price. The price for ten thousand magazines was twenty eight hundred bucks, which you know, because you're running it on a big press in right. Mississippi and it's you know okay. So we put it on the newsstand. Did well for the rest of the year, well enough that the next year they said we want a hundred thousand. And Mike said, I'm out. I'm out. You do it. I'm not being responsible for all this. So I bought him out for like a dollar. He retained some stock, but now I'm the publisher. Okay. When we went to 100000 we added a thing called the baseball interview, which we modeled after the Playboy interview. Try to get famous people in baseball. I remember we got Brooks Robinson and do a straight Q&A. So when the Yankees won the World Series in 1977, the next month, November, I don't know how this all happened. I landed an interview with George Steinbrenner for the baseball interview in his office. I have pictures of it to this day of me, you know, sitting across that same round table that was there. And I taped the interview. And now, and I got to tell you, I it was a good interview because I was tough on him. Man, I don't know where I came up with the huts, but uh, ask asked him some of the questions I asked him. And I looked at his answers and like... If it was today, it would have made news. But I asked him a question about his management style. I don't remember quite how because it didn't even make, I didn't even use this in the in the printed version. But I asked him, did you do you manage people differently? What's your I'm asking him about the managerial style? And he says to me, there are two types of leaders. Some men are Pattons and some are Eisenhower's. You know, after the two very different World War II generals, he bangs the table and he says, and I guess I'm a Pat. Oh, yeah. All right. Now, (laughs) remember, I'm interviewing for Baseball Magazine, but I want to be his PR director, whether it's next year or when I'm done with this, whatever. So as I'm walking to my car that night and I can still picture the scene, the dusk is settling in Dover. I said to myself, if you ever get this job, that's how you're going to play this. He's General Patton, and you're a lowly corporal. So when I got that job in 1996, whenever I met him or got him on the phone, whenever he called, he was General Patton. I answered the phone when I knew it was him. Yes, sir. And everything started with, sir. Sir, if I can interject. Sir, if you don't. Sir. I can. Then it became, sir, I can't let you do that. Then it became, sir, are you out of your mind? And uh, I mean, we had those kinds of conversations. But that, I think that, I'll tell you a funny story about, now, I had met him, obviously, I'm interviewing you, but that's 1977. This is 20 years later. I may, might have seen him a time or two. I interviewed him for my radio show when we went to spring training in 1987. So he might have known who I was. But I get the Yankee job. He didn't interview me. The CO, the COO, David Sussman, interviewed me, and I got the job the day of the interview. So now two weeks go by. I get the job like January 20th. We're going to spring training in two weeks, three weeks. And I've never had a conversation. He's never – nobody's ever said, Mr. Steinbrenner's on the phone for you. And I'm like, this is a piece of cake. We had Yankee Fest. So we pack. I go to spring training. Brand new facility. And everybody's new. The managers knew the general managers knew the ballpark is new. The city is new. We went from Lauderdale to, to Tampa, which was a great advantage for me. Everybody was new and a couple of days go by and I see him. He'd show up at practice and I'm up there. I never crossed paths with him. And then one day after a workout, I'm walking through the lobby and the elevators are kind of hidden And I hear the elevator bell, and I yell, hold that, because that's going to take me up to the third floor where my office was in the press box. And I get in the door, and standing there with his finger on the button, looking really ticked off, is one (laughs) George Steinbrenner. And I go to the back of the elevator, and what do I say? Three, please. (laughs) He hit three so hard that it was a good test for the new elevator. So I said, Mr. Steinbrenner, I should probably introduce myself. I'm your new PR director, Rick Cerrone. And he lit up. Oh, Rick, how are you doing? I'll never forget. Len Berman says great things about you. Now, Len Berman was the great New York sportscaster. Sure. I don't know what he said, but thank you, Len. He. I get off at three. Okay, I'll see you. You take care. You need anything. You let me know. Go get him. You know, like piece of cake next day in the afternoon the phone rings and it's his office and his secretary says mr steinbrenner wants to see you right away at max max's office now max was the guy that uh, this is all i knew of max he stood at the door to the press room the media dining room where the media was given lunch before a game or after a workout whatever max is where the heck is max's office so I find Max's office down on the clubhouse level, and I walk in, and there's Mr. Steinbrenner sitting besides Max's desk looking at Max. Max is looking at me as I walk in the door, and the look on his face tells me, son, you're not going to like this. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, yeah, would you explain this to me? And he hands me a piece of paper. And I take the paper, and I look at it, and I said, this is the sign-in sheet with the writers from the dining room. Because, yeah, would you explain to me why uh, we're feeding the press and for nothing? And all I could think to say was, I-, I don't know what to tell you, sir, except, now the one thing you had to do was give him an answer. You, that That's what I learned. Don't hem it off. Ha- I said, I don't know what to tell you, sir. But, you know, I just started here three weeks ago. So, as you know, I wasn't here when you designed this beautiful building. And I wasn't here when a decision was made to to have that room be a media dining room. I certainly wasn't here when you decided that you weren't gonna charge the media, which nobody charged them in those days. So I don't know what else to tell you. And he grabs the paper back and he says, get out of here. And I turned and I went back to my office. I'm like, oh boy. And the phone rings and it says, Max Margolis. And I picked up the phone, and I said, yes. And he says, nice work. Don't take any shit from him. (laughs) I figured I was okay. But I often wondered, what the heck was that all about? There was no repercussions. It never came up again. I said, if you want to charge the media, that's up to you. You're the owner. I I realized recently that that was a test. That was my, you know, testing me under fire. Let's see how he reacts to this insanity. And I guess I passed it with flying colors. Because every time I'd walk by Max, he'd make some reference to you're not taking any of his, you know. So but I loved the man. You know, I, you know, and we had knockdown, drag out in, in in a five-week period in in two thousand three. I resigned three times. Once I didn't know if I resigned or got fired because he had some crazy idea of something he was going to do in spring training. I said, You can't do that. You're not that you can't. Oh, the hell I can. I'm the owner. I said, Yeah, but. You know, the, the commissioner will be on the phone with you in an hour and you're going to be embarrassed while well, we're doing it. And I said, and I'm on the phone in New York, in, in the Bronx, and he's in Tampa. He says, well, we're doing it. And I said, well, if you're going to do that, then you're going to probably have to find yourself a new media relations director. And he said, yeah, you're probably right. And he hung up. Now, did I quit? Did I just get fired? So I went home. That was at the end of the day. I went home and I told my wife again, you know, what, what happened now? you know, And. I said, I don't know what to do. And she said, here's my advice. You can remember on Seinfeld when George Costanza told off his boss and Jerry said, just go back like nothing happened. I said, yeah, but he got fired again. (laughs) That's all. I I don't know what else to tell you. Just go back. You know. Okay, so I went back and the next day was the Jose Contreras introductory press conference. So whatever the date was, it was the day before the whole day goes by and nothing happens is, you know, and finally at the end of the day, Mr. Steinbrenner's is on line one. And, yes, sir. He goes, yeah, now you all set for tomorrow. You're going to really focus on how, how we'll represent the Steinbrenner family. Uh, okay. We, and they said, anything else? I said, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. You know, you and I had words yesterday and you goes, Oh yeah, I thought about that. You're right. We're not doing that. And that was the end of it. Wow. <laughs> so listen, he had every right to fire me on a number of occasions because sometimes our back and forth was a little unprofessional, but he was, I, I loved him. I, I love the man. I miss him.
2: You hear that. You hear that a lot about him. Yeah. That he, he was, he was stern. He was tough, but he was generous. He was, I mean, just, you know, you talk about, uh, we talk about the players and how, you know, they may be having this day and that day. And and they have different parts of their lives. It's almost like he had different, you know, he.
3: Well, I'll also tell you, and I would be remiss if I didn't say this: that the 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 biggest single ingredient in the success of the New York Yankees was Joe Torre, because he he became a buffer between the boss and the players, and he kept them he kept the players isolated from. And he had a way of handling, you know, more gentle than I would, whatever, but he, he just let it roll off his back. And, you know, um, I mean, you know, Joe Tory was a big, re- certainly a big reason for my success. Right. Cause if you don't get along with the manager, you know, if the manager doesn't have faith in you and trust in you and whatever, um, you're not going to succeed. Um, and, you know, people say, I, I hear it re- recently, someone at my cigar club said, Oh, he was in the right, he was in the right place at the right time. You know, clueless Joe, oh. I said, no, 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 no. I was there. He wasn't in the right place at the right time. He was the right person at the right time. That's that's what he was. And you know, and the whole clueless Joe thing, which you know, was not meant to, but if you ever if you ever read that column that Ian O'Connor, who's a wonderful writer, wrote after Joe's first press conference, you'd say, Oh my God. You know, it's a sad day when man becomes Muppet. And the the clueless part was that he thought he could work with the boss. And Ian's assertion, you can't. It's not possible. Well, you know what? He did.
0: I do remember that headline. It was a big, bold headline.
3: Rick, this has been a. Let me just say this one other story. I wrote about this when Joe last May won our third annual Lifetime Achievement Award following Willie Mays and Vin Scully. I wrote about that whole thing that he started off as being labeled clueless Joe. But when he got to spring training and he called the players together for his first meeting, you knew that much like Buck was older Buck when he took over the Mets, he was the adult in the room. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he commanded respect, you know, players back then called him Mr. Tory, Yeah. Derek yeah. Jeter and Mariano Rivera call him Mr. Tory to this day. Not yep. Joe, not Skip, whatever. So you jump ahead now. We win the pennant. We're in the World Series. We get absolutely crushed in game one. It was a long layoff. Beat the Orioles in the ALCS in five games. And it was a long layoff. Now we open up against the uh, the Braves, and we we get knocked around pretty good. And I'm there. There's only one witness to this story. And Joe's told it for many years. And people have said, oh, that that didn't happen. Well, I was standing there. The next day, it's an hour before the game, whatever. Joe's sitting at his desk. I'm walking out the door. And George, Mr. Steinbrenner, walks in and puts his head, leans his head into Joe's office. So now I'm standing behind him. And he says to him, this is a big game tonight or Something like that. Big game tonight, Joe. And boss says, well, then you better be prepared for us to lose. You know, he didn't think the team was ready, you know. And he said, but don't worry, boss. We're going to Atlanta. That's my town. We'll take three there, and we'll come back and win it for you here next Saturday night. And George Steimer turned to me and looked at me like, did he just say that? And I kind of shook my head. That's a true story, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, you talk about confidence.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Rick, this has been a fascinating hour. We can talk to you for another couple hours. Although, we respect your time. And and this has been just fantastic. We we really do it again sometime. We'll do it. Oh, that'd be great. We would love to. We would love to to do that. And again, congratulations on your induction to New York State Baseball Hall of Fame. We will see you there. Can't wait to meet you in person. And this has been a fantastic week. Thank you very much. And, yeah, thank and you, you for guys should us.
3: know if I can tell you real quick, there really, there <laughs> actually is now a physical New York baseball hall of fame. Cause I yeah. was there two weeks oh, ago. Oh, you went the- there. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, Rennie LaRue is doing a great job. They got a beautiful adjoining little league field that, that they spent, a, somebody spent a million dollars to this antique ballpark. Uh, it's a jewel. And R- Remy's, Randy's doing a great job in finding artifacts and display cases. And uh, it's really going to be something to see up in Gloversville, which is probably about 30 minutes west of Albany.
2: Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's incredible. We can't wait to see you at the dinner. Right. Um, it's a well-deserved honor. If you want to mention us in your speech, you know whatever.
0: <laughs> uh, but, but we will now. Now he has Eric Sherman, and now you are mentioning us in well, our speech. So you know, <laughs> Somebody- it's, funny, it's
3: funny that Rennie told me the, the, the person that puts the dinner on it. If if you're up there when it hits the ten minute mark, we're coming to get you. Right. He said, "Trust me, it will not hit the ten minute mark." So. <laughs>
2: We can't wait. We yeah, can't wait. Guys. Rick, thank you very much.
3: Great work, by the way. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast. And if you like barbecue and you like baseball, then you have to listen to Baseball and BBQ with Jeff and Lynn. They always have the best guests from the world of baseball and the world of barbecue, all in one little package. Check it out. Baseball and BBQ with len and Jeff. Okay, guys, take it away.
2: Thank you very much, Rick. Jeff, that is one of those interviews that we could have been on and on and on. He worked with well, worked with. He worked for George Steinbrenner. Mr. Steinbrenner. Yes. Mr. Steinbrenner. Wow. The the stories and uh such a nice guy. We met him in person at the uh, at the New York State Baseball Hall of Fame dinner. I just really enjoyed. Can't wait for him to come back on.
0: Yeah, it was terrific.
2: Yeah. Now, before we get to your two cents, I just want to tell everyone it is holiday season. And that means you're going to be looking for gifts. Now, we have Ray Sheehan coming up with his list. But And one of the things that he's going to mention, and we've got to mention it again because it's just great, is baseballbbq.com. He'll talk about it, but it's grilling tools with baseball bat handles plus cutting board shaped like home plate and on and on. Go to baseballbbq.com and, and you'll really like what you see. And if you really want to like something you're about to hear, I haven't heard this, so I I don't know, but I'm assuming Jeff, it is your two cents. So give us your two cents. Thank you.
0: Leonard, did you know that the New York Met Francisco Lindor told teammate Jeff McNeil that he would, if he won the 2022 National League batting title, that he would buy him a car. This was reported in the media. You know about this? Yes, I do. Well, Jeff and McNeil in did, in fact, win the batting title, and Lindor did purchase him a car, a Ford Bronco. However, he purchased it in November 2023, more than a year later. And you know how social media is. They were all over this. Why did it take so long? Is Lindor a liar? Or is he welching on a promise? Yada, yada, yada. Let me ask you something. Who really cares? McNeil makes $12 million per season. Lindor makes $34 million per season. It's not like they can't afford it. But this is what bothers me. Social media and even the sports writers, they were all over this, treating it like it's a big story. Lindor promised to buy a car and doesn't deliver, blah, 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 blah. My question to you is, whose business is it? Do we know what was said between McNeil and Lindor? No. Do we know any conversation that we had about the timing of the purchase? No. McNeil won the batting title, and it goes... Whatever busy busy schedule he has on on that offseason. Now, McNeil lives in California. Lindor splits his time in Florida and Puerto Rico. Whose business is it when they purchased the car? Maybe they agreed to wait after the 2023 season. But when it was reported the car was actually purchased, the anger at Lindor on social media started all over again. Why did it take too long? He a bad teammate, so on and so -so -so on. In the end, McNeil got his new car, and Lindor paid for it. Big effing deal. Who cares? Well, Jeff,
2: that two cents is worth your two cents. Yeah, agreed. You know, it's so funny. When we were, when we were, we weren't kids, but Don Imus was a DJ here in in New York on FAN. And I remember when, um, well, you'll remember this. I think it was something about Mike Frances that said something, it was St. John's. Going to the final I think, four. I think, it was, I think oh, it was
0: Seton Hall. Seton Hall.
2: Okay. And 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 uh, Don Imus told Mike Francesa that he would buy him a um a, a car, Porsche. but it was a Porsche if they did uh whatever, however far they got. He never got the Porsche, you know. No, he good, didn't. Good thing there wasn't social media then because <laughs> Oh my gosh. And and what about just recently? Mad Dog, Christopher Mad Dog Russo yeah. said that if the uh, what is it make make right. it to
0: the world Series.
2: he would he would quit he was, his job he, he would he would retire right he would retire yeah. yeah he's still working
0: so he's still exactly
2: the fact is lindor bought the car who cares when he bought it it's it's a non-story and it's just incredible what people uh you know talk about who cares okay exactly. he got a car and you're right you know mcneil could have bought Many, many cars, you know, I'm surprised people don't say, well, why was it just a Ford Bronco? Why why, exactly. know, why, why not a Mercedes? Why not a Porsche? <laughs> why not a BMW? I mean,
0: so exactly. There you exactly. go. And if you have two cents, you want to tell us, give us a call at 516-855-8214. Email us baseball and bbq at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our Facebook page. You can leave us a comment on X or Twitter at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, where barbecue is all, all spelled out. And our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Please rate, review, follow, subscribe, subscribe. On.
2: Yeah, give us five stars. That's what everyone asks for. They all say, give us five stars. Just, you know, we rate us. Jeff, I'm in the mood to laugh. So yeah. what do you got to make me laugh?
0: The baseball quote of the week. I knew my career was over in 1965. My baseball card came out with no picture. I had slumps that lasted into the winter. You know who said that? Bob Euchre. Bob Euchre. The great Bob Euchre. And, and, you know, you've
2: mentioned this before, I think, but it doesn't hurt. to When you hear Bob Euchre and go online go to youtube you have got to watch his induction speech into the into the into cooperstown into the baseball hall of fame it's funny as anything it is fantastic yeah and jeff i want you know what i don't want to be a, a getter i don't need to get gifts i want to give gifts but i don't know what to give what 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 should we do
0: what to give that barbecue person in your life I wish we had some type of guide.
2: Well, luckily, that's something that I'm going to give you. That is the guide. And it ah. is Ray, Chef Ray. Sheehan, welcome, Chef Ray. Here he comes because you're going to get a lot of knowledge and re- be ready to give some good gifts. All right. Thanksgiving's over. It's gone. You guys know what that means. It's time to get gifts. It was Prior to Thanksgiving, they were having sales. But now we're in the thick of it. So, Glenn,
0: Glenn can, I, can I just uh, correct you there? Not get gifts. How about give gifts?
2: Give, yes. This is the season to give, not to get. Yes, I agree with you. And you know what, though? You sit there, you think, what can I get for that barbecue lover in my life? He loves barbecue. He loves baseball. He loves the Baseball and Barbecue podcast. And you guys are going to love our guest. He has been on the show many times. He's a guest co-host. We're so happy to have him. He is an award-winning barbecue sauce maker, an award-winning cookbook author. He is known as Chef Ray. It's not much he can't do. And he came up with a wonderful holiday list. We are proud and excited to welcome Ray Sheehan, Chef Ray, to the Baseball and Barbecue Podcast. Welcome, Ray.
1: Welcome back, Ray. Hey, Hey guys. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. Great to
0: talk to you. So, Ray, you came up with this list. It's for the Barbecue News magazines, correct? Yes. All right. So it's a a nice list of barbecue gifts that, that you can give the
1: barbecue lover in your life it is the grill masters holiday gift guide. It's uh, a, it's my first annual one. There's so many great companies out there and there's so many small independent businesses. uh, And, you know, it's nice to shine a spotlight on them at holiday time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and what we'll do is Ray's going to go over his list. And I think, Everybody's going to love some of these th- these items, and we will post. Uh, we'll have links to all of these in our show notes. So wherever you see the show notes, you can link on them. Ray's going to have this list in uh, Barbecue News magazine as well, right, Ray? So yeah, that's in um, the
1: December issue.
2: Yeah, so that's fantastic. So Ray, let's get started. I get to hear all the things you're going to get me. I, I mean, that I'm going to give
1: <laughs> um, in no particular order because they're all great. And there's a lot of great stocking stuffer items, uh, stuff that people wouldn't buy themselves. But you know what? They're barbecue essentials. You know they're going to need them. The first one is Magna Chef barbecue gloves. Uh, these are heat resistant silicone barbecue gloves that were created by a Miami Dade firefighter. They have a safety clip, which is a lot, which allows for a uh, rapid release of one or both hands. Um, and I think they're rated up to, like, uh, f- got to be at least 500 degrees. So if you're, you know, taking your, uh, you know, pans in and out of the smoker or the grill, um, or you need to reach in and move the coals around, you're not going to get burned. And uh, so MagniChef. Makes these are awesome products. They also have a freedom glove, which doesn't have the clips and has a full uh, range of motion uh, hands. So I would definitely, uh, I would, I would be really happy if I got that uh, under the tree.
2: I have used these gloves and everything is true. When you have these gloves on and your hands have just been handling all the, you know, all the greasy food and you want to get them off. You, you click them together and you pull them off. It is so much easier. You try to take these gloves off or gloves off when your hands are greasy. Not happening. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: and, and go ahead, if Jeff. your barbecue uh, lover is a Mr. Spock fan, they also uh, look uh, like uh, <laughs> Mr. Yes, Spock. So yes.
2: Live long, live <laughs> live long, long and prosper. prosper. Yes. And, you know, you got to take one of the racks and move one of the racks. or Oh, yeah. The, I You... These are the best. They're really good. So, so Ray, good, good choice to start us off.
1: Uh, and what, that's do Chef, what, what do you got? Magnashef, Excellent. What else we have on the list? Next up, uh, you're definitely going to need some kind of uh, barbecue woods. Bear Mountain barbecue woods. They are. They make premium wood, premium woods chunks, chips, pellets. Uh, they're all natural. They come in so many great flavors uh, from your hickory and oak to your fruit woods like cherry, apple, and even alder. So uh, these are really great. They don't impart any chemicals or additives to your food. They don't use any fillers, zero binders, just pure all-natural hardwood, Bear Mountain barbecue woods, really awesome, really, really delicious. And you, you had them on your show, right?
0: Yeah, we,
2: we yeah, did, we did. So, a,
1: yeah. as we did with a uh, Magna Chef, right? What, well,
2: yeah, right, right so if anybody wants to go back and listen to these and, and be reminded of the great products, they're in the archives. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. there. Bear Mountain didn't they also have? The, the smoke pouch, I think, Bear Mountain has. The smoke-ems, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, those are really
1: cool. If you have a, if you have a gas grill, um, you just put the, you know, the pouch goes right on. I put it right at, kind of like uh, in the back of the grill underneath the grate, and I get uh, smoke flavor on something that I'm cooking pretty quick, and really awesome, really unique product.
2: Yep. Yeah. When the wood is one of the main ingredients in your smoked food, this they have – you don't have to worry about, like you said, there's no chemicals, no fillers. Very, very good product. So,
0: now, now Ray, you're you're a chef, and you use some tools that you need to cut the meat with. So, what's next up on your list?
1: Well, uh, glad you asked. The, what? Just, what the a finest, segue. just the finest, just the finest <laughs> Japanese uh, style steak uh, style knives, uh, forged to table. These are developed by industry professionals, handcrafted by third-generation bladesmiths. Every knife is handcrafted. Um, It gives you a unique unique blade and really great prices. They're really affordable, and they're really great people. They're all about community and giving back and creating the next generation of chefs and pitmasters. Forged-to-table knives uh, are all I use now. They're, tiff- they're terrific. You actually can find them on uh, Instagram a-
0: as well. And mm-hmm. you know what? I would say for this is not just a barbecue gift. It is a gift for any gift-giving reason being uh, and, you know, weddings. So uh, this is a-, a terrific gift.
2: Yeah, knives uh-huh. make great gifts. Forged a table. Like I said, Noah Rosen was a guest on the show. They are beautiful. And they come yeah, in and these- they- Nice yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna say no, that <laughs> you're the guest.
1: You're no, I was stove. just gonna say that they come in these really <laughs> unique boxes that they're they're really perfect for for gift giving. Yeah,
2: yeah. They every chef needs a good knife, a good nice sharp knife.
1: Whether you're baking, uh, barbecuing, cooking, chefing, just cooking at home, they're easy to clean. They last a long time. They stay really sharp. I mean. You, you don't they the night you let the knife do the work
0: <laughs> so right what what kind of barbecue tools do you recommend
1: you know i was fortunate enough to be uh the receiver of these amazing barbecue tools from baseball and barbecue was it baseballbarbecue.com they build tools for fans of the game and the grill and really amazing baseball bat handle tongs and bottle openers and sp- spatulas. And I, I can't say enough great things about these tools. Not only do they look beautiful, but they're really sturdy and they're really, I mean, it was, it it was, it is, it will be the perfect gift for that baseball and barbecue fan. Um, if you go to baseballbarbecue.com, you can hook up with some of the really awesome uh, tools and um, you can get them customized Really fantastic, and I have to say thank you to my two great friends for uh, for the wonderful gifts. Elon, it's and giving, not getting. It's
0: giving. <laughs> it's <exactly>. all about <laughs> the giving,
2: and it makes you feel good. It's all about the giving. You know, I We'd I got to stop company before. Yeah, yeah. They the baseballbbq com. It's nice. To, we we speak about them on every show. You know, we we always mention them. And I always talk about how, yes, it's it, it's it's cool looking with the baseball bat handle, but it's really. And Ray, as a as a pit master and a chef, you know how important it is to have tools that actually you can hold on to oh, and they feel good and, can, and are sturdy.
1: Yeah, you, I put these to the test. I mean, you can use them. They're not they're not just pretty. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you know, you're you're going to be. Uh, you know, sliding into home onto that, uh, home home cutting board all uh, right, with your steak, with your vegetables. I mean, really amazing quality. I mean, it's not a tchotchke gift. It's, it's really the type of gift that someone's going to maybe even pass down, you know, some of these items.
2: Yeah. Except you say chef Ray on them. So you, You'd have to pass them down. My to, son, exactly. also Ray. Uh, He'd have to,
1: right. <laughs> right. He's, he's also potentially a chef, Ray, but that's baseballbbq.com. Really amazing uh, barbecue tools.
2: Thank you. Ray, I like to watch uh, a show on TV called Shark Tank, which brings us, see, I could do segues too. <laughs> which brings us to the next item on your list, which I actually just we used uh just the other day on on a turkey. So Ray, what, what do you got for us?
1: Bird is the word, turbo trusser. That is what you need to trust your bird. You can trust a chicken, a turkey. I mean, in seconds. Uh it this this is a great invention by a couple of really great guys. And they they're durable, they're stainless steel. You can put them in the dishwasher, you can you know, they hold on to the bird perfectly. They keep it like uh, really moist while it's cooking. Um, and, and literally it does take only seconds uh, to trust your bird. You know, you don't need to mess with butcher's twine, anything like that. You basically just two hooks firmly hold the bird in place and ensure that it cooks uh, evenly. And in it just really retains the moisture. It's not all over your pan. And um, I, I use this the minute I got it. And my wife was like, wow, you never made a chicken like that before. And I'm looking at her like, I mean, I've made a million chickens. But mm-hmm. this was really, it's some, one of those things that people might not think of to go out and get for themselves. But I'm telling you, this is the product that you need. The Turbo Trusser, really, really amazing tool to use for your chicken.
2: Ray, it was the day after Thanksgiving. Turkeys are on sale. I happen to really like turkey. So we buy this big 15-pound turkey. And we're going to use the turbo trusser. And I said to my wife, I said, uh, do you, I don't remember you trussing a turkey. And she said to me, yeah, because it's a pain in the ass. So <laughs> now you are a chef. Is it a pain in the ass to trust a, a, a turkey I or mean, a if, chicken?
1: If you do a million of them, you probably could get quick at them. You could probably but get quick is, at doing it. Yeah. But for the everyday household cook this really eliminates all the fuss. Even, even if you do it, it, this just makes it so simple. It's literally put the legs in the holders and then hook the, the wings, hook this, the hook to the wings mm-hmm. and it's ready to go. It's ready to be seasoned and, and everything else. Actually, I seasoned mine ahead of time and then hooked it all up. And it took me maybe two to three seconds to trust it. Wow. And, yeah. and the, the outcome was amazing. Really? The, the, the bird was just really moist and it's one of those things you wondered, like, is that really necessary until you do it? And then you're like, wow, the, the, right. the, <laughs> the results <laughs> are, they wow you. So yeah. TurboTruster.com. uh That is one that makes a great gift. They're also on Amazon, but yeah, I would definitely use it.
2: Yeah. They also and, have for Cornish game hens now. All right. So Ray, what's next on the list?
1: So, you know, putting this list together, I really wanted to, for the first year especially, and I, you know, I, I wanted to choose items that are products that I use or believe in, um, not just picking something out of a hat, but they're also pretty much mostly independent small businesses. And so that really does shine a spotlight on them. But this next product is more of a personality product, TuffyStone.com. The professor, Tuffy Stone, legendary pit master, has created uh, sauces and seasonings. I was fortunate enough to take his master competition barbecue class, the Cool Smoke barbecue class in um, Richmond, Virginia with him. Really great guy, really knowledgeable. And uh, I upped my game by taking his class. And I I love his products. They're really delicious. They're great for the barbecue, uh, for grilling and barbecue and for me, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, TuffyStone dot It's from a world champion barbecue pitmaster. What more can I say?
2: Tuffy is the real deal. I was going to say we we had him. Uh, we met him at Pig Beach a couple of years ago. Couldn't have been any nicer. He, he's he's some kind of cook. He really is. So I'm sure that his products are are exceptional. Okay, speaking of something that you need to use every day. Or that most people, except vampires, probably don't want to use. <laughs> what's the next? What's the next item on your list, Ray?
1: The next item is I've used this in competition. I we call it small batch big flavor, or they call it small batch big flavor. The black garlic market makes black garlic, or BG one ninety six. It's named that for the one hundred ninety six hours in which it gets the Ma- Maillard reaction and. Uh, it goes from a garlic clove to this amazingly caramel, balsamic umami flavor bomb that uh, will, it, you could just pop the cloves right in your mouth. And it's like, like I said, it's kind of like a balsamic-y kind of a flavor to it. Some of the best chefs in the world have used it. The winners at uh, World Food Championships, Steak cookoffs, Culinary Fight Club, you name it, all the big. Uh, chefs, all the big competitors, and now a lot of home cooks because now they have the black garlic market uh, website where you can order their producer of not only the black garlic bulbs you can buy, but black garlic mustard, black garlic honey. I mean, these are game changers that when you make a dressing or uh, a hot sauce or a sauce with that mustard or the honey, it really just adds a, so much flavor to what you're what you're producing. I mean, so much so I included their black garlic in my recipes in, in both of my cookbooks in award winning barbecue sauces and how to use them. I make a uh, Asian barbecue sauce that features their black garlic along with regular garlic because I want the sharp flavor. But I also want that like soft caramel uh, flavor from the black garlic. Really amazing. I, you know, like I said, they have a lot of different products. Definitely worth checking out. It's not something that it, somebody might think to get for themselves, but when you give it to them, they are going to kiss you. They're going to love you. So, the blackgarlicmarket.com.
2: Will, will they kiss you after the garlic or before?
1: They can because it's so mild. It's, it's so mild <laughs> and flavorful, not sharp like regular garlic. So, All right. definitely want to check that All out. Right. At Black garlic Market.
0: I have one thing to say to you Wagyu, what's the next thing on the list? Beef. ah,
1: Greg's Beef Company. Beef, it's what's beef for dinner. <laughs> from a family farm located in Ashland, Nebraska. I mean, I've seen these guys all over social media. Uh, amazing, amazing uh, beef. 100% Nebraska born and raised American Wagyu and Angus beef. Grass-fed, grain-finished, and hormone-free. You know, they're they, they were they had a a store in their hometown and then they went 100% online i think they deserve some love i mean they're they're a, a independently run a small business family owned and operated and a really amazing quality product quality beef i know there's a lot of places that you can get beef online but rather than supporting a big commercial endeavor why not support a family farm also you know Great, great, great great idea. Yes.
2: It's R-A-I-K-E-S, Beef Company. Yes. I want to make sure everybody gets that spelling correctly and is able to go there on the internet and find and,
0: it. And, and Ray, the
1: next item on the list I know changed the way I cook. Likewise, the Thermopen 1 from Thermoworks. Um, and they have a lot of great products, but ThermoWorks, they really, they changed the way I cook because now I'm, it's I'm so much more precise with, with my time and my temperatures. Um, you can get a full reading in one second or less with the ThermoPen 1, but all of their thermometers, um, and they have a lot of different varieties for commercial purposes, for home use. There's nothing like a good thermometer. You're not going to go and get this great beef from the uh, the beef company and then not get a thermometer and then overcook it. I mean, you want to cook it to the right temperature. You want to cook it to the temperature that you enjoy it at. So Mm -hmm. you can achieve uh, speed and accuracy with these Thermoworks thermometers. Thermoworks.com. I like the Thermopen one, but like I said, they have a variety of thermometers you can use, and they give you. Accurate readings in a short amount of time, and that's what you need when you're doing uh, competitions and even or in the backyard.
0: Yeah, that' fantastic. And I know we're down to the last two items, so why don't you go on to the uh, next one with uh, its rubs and seasonings. So
1: so I got two, two more rubs and seasonings for you. Uh, these make great stocking stuffers. B.T. Lee's Sauces and Rubs. B.T. Lee is an awesome dude. Uh, he's an award-winning... Uh, you know, sauce and rub creator. His stuff is all natural. They're created in small batches in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Uh, again, uh, small business, support small business. Their, their motto is uh, that they create products that are packed with bold, unexpected flavors that will leave you saying more, please. And I agree. They have a new line of popcorns that are flavored with all their rubs, which is really a unique gift. If you have a popcorn aficionado in your household. They have everything from something to cluck about, something to cry about. I mean, they give you the barbecue flavor, hot. I mean, they hit it they hit it out of the park with all these. And their sauces and seasonings have won numerous awards like Sauce King. Uh they've always been a top award winner. Just you know, so many different awards. They're the real deal. BT Lee's sauces and rubs.
2: All right, right. We had him on, we had Brian Lee on, and uh, we've tried his products. And you're right, they are fantastic. So uh, that's another great stocking stuffer. Um, he's got gift sets. It's a, it's a good one. And the last item
1: on the list? The last item on the list, last but definitely not least, and like I said, these weren't in any particular order. Home of the Barbecue Boy Toy Calendar, Veterans queue. Uh cue for a cause. This is a veteran-owned company that not only makes delicious barbecue products, but they donate 50% of their profits to credible veteran organizations. Uh, their motto is great barbecue sauces and seasonings with an even greater mission. They were just featured on the Kelly Clarkson Show. They do a lot to raise money for veterans. They, Like I said, they are home of the barbecue boy toy calendar. What is that, you say? Yes, it is... Barbecue Pitmasters, Sans shirts uh, next to the grill with the sauce. I mean, it's, oh. it's really a funny thing. And it's all for charity. And But their products are great. So if you order from them, you know that your money is going to be going to a great veteran organization. And you're going to have a delicious uh, barbecue sauce or seasoning. And also another great guy. Uh, Steve is a really amazing creator and Heck of a nice guy and he's a veteran so let's support him VeteransQ.com. Ray, which you, Ray.
2: Month, which which month are you in this calendar uh, your, your you know I
1: haven't I haven't been uh, asked to be on there so uh it's <laughs> maybe it's next year. It's already taken, so.
2: maybe next year right. you know Ray there is one item that's not on this list and I think it should be and it's two items but it's from one person and it is two cookbooks now you briefly mentioned one before but Ray your cookbooks okay you didn't put them on the list because it's not about you it's about giving no,
1: no I but, did not want to I didn't want not want to um promote myself right uh, I just wanted to shine the light on others and certainly this is not an exhaustive list because right. we could you know there's um, there's so many great products what I would have to say to that is look out for our Father's Day gift guide, that's something that we'll start working on uh, for yes. Father's Day. Where because there's no grills on this list, but Ray. we'll, you know. But thank you. So
2: well.
0: Yeah.
1: That, what are the uh, books?
0: So we're going to have yeah. Ray back on
1: for yeah, Father's Day. We you know, will
0: Father's Day,
2: but <laughs> but what are the books we want? The yeah. books for the oh. for this holiday. What are the books, Ray? And where can we get them?
1: Award winning barbecue sauces and how to use them and Big Green Egg Basics from a Master Barbecue are both available on Amazon. I think, and I think they're even on sale if you so choose to, uh, you know, to get them. Award-winning barbecue sauces and how to use them. That was a barbecue book of the year for the National Barbecue Association a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, I would be uh, humbled and honored if if people were interested in my books. But again, like I really want to shine the light on others and I was, as a former sauce maker and, uh, you know, being in business uh, for so many years, I know the struggle and I want to help support other people that are doing it, so.
2: The list is incredible. You you really, you highlighted, you can't go wrong with any of the items on the list, price ranges, they're all, yeah, (laughs) all essentials. You You get any, any chef, any pit master, any baseball lover, whatever is going to. They're going to love these items. We thank you very much for putting this list together.
0: And the holiday is just around the corner. So please, you know, support these these, uh, companies. They're they're terrific companies. And Ray, we thank you for joining us and giving us our guide to the holiday gift giving.
1: Well, Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I wish you guys the best holidays.
0: Thank you, Ray. We wish you you too. We'll
2: see you during Father's Day and back next year for your second annual gift guide because this is going to be a regular, that's for sure.
1: Sounds great, thank you.
0: And thank you, Chef Ray Sheehan for that wonderful gift guide because we know to give a gift to the barbecue person in your life, that is going to be very, very helpful.
2: Not only that, but chances are, if you give a gift to that barbecue lover in your life, you're somehow going to benefit from it. Yes. <laughs> right. Exactly right. <laughs> because who are they cooking for? Right. You know, uh-huh. you're going to get the benefit of it. Absolutely. So thank you, Chef Ray. We've got you booked for next year. You're committed to Father's Day. So we're looking forward to it. Jeff, did you know that we're brought to you by Bet Online? It is where the game starts. Okay. But we're not starting. No, we're not. We're ending, but we've given a ton of show, and I hope everybody has enjoyed it. So how do we end episode 214? With the musician. That is Dave Dresser.
0: And the poet. Shel Krakowski. And the song. Baseball always brings you home. And we'll see you next week on episode 215.